Hi everyone, Kate Ivey here, your host of the Dedicate podcast. A massive welcome to our last episode of season five. On Instagram recently, I shared that I wasn't sure whether to have a break from podcasting next term or not. Well, after hitting 50,000 downloads recently of the Dedicate podcast, I've decided to keep going. The thought of reaching 100,000 downloads excites me. It's great to have a goal. And I've finished this season a week early so I can have three weeks off. Thank you very much to everyone who has supported me with that decision. Anyway, let's get on to today's episode. Steph Trithui is a born and bred city girl from Sydney. She met her now husband while working for Channel 7. She interviewed him about agriculture and the rest is history. She moved to rural Tasmania but had no idea how challenging it would be and how lonely she would become, especially with a young baby. This inspired her to start Motherland Australia, Australia's first ever online rural mothers group program. So today we chat all about her journey. It's a story many will be able to relate to and it's really similar to what inspired me to start Cape Ivy Fitness, both living rurally and longing for social connection. We have some super interesting conversations around guilt, motherhood, depression, social connection and more. Thanks Steph, we hope you enjoy. Season 5 of the Dedicate podcast and Workout for Mental Health is proudly sponsored by Rabobank. Rabobank is a specialist savings and agribusiness bank. 100% of savings deposits are used to help fund New Zealand farmers and growers to produce delicious, nourishing food for us all. Thanks to their cooperative origins, Rabobank has a rich history of community engagement and now, thanks to Rabo Community Fund, they can make an even bigger impact in the communities where their clients live. Through Rabobank, you can be part of something truly productive. Let's grow a better New Zealand together. There you go. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Things still crazy after the big award win? Yeah, I um, I actually just did a TV interview for Studio 10 here for a, yeah for another award that's come at the same time that I haven't told anyone about because it's just too much of me. But um, there's a Women's Weekly, like Women's Weekly magazine. They do like a National Women of the Future Award. And so I'm one of six finalists um, wow. for that. So I'm going to Sydney in a few weeks. And so I just did a little interview about that. But I feel like everyone's going to get sick of me. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, you're like, you know what? You're only the golden girl for a short time. So you yeah, may milk, milk it. Oh, my God. Work, you have to you know? enjoy it because yeah. there is a come down afterwards as well. Like, Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely feeling that after Canberra. It's like yeah. just awful on. And then it's just like, anyway, it's nice to come, just be back to a little bit more normal life. <laughs> yeah. But how are you going? No, I'm good. I'm, I should say because I'm, I'm not actually 100% myself today. I had a rough day yesterday. Um, my, well, it was just my, my daughter had the last part of her assessment with a psychologist. She has autism and it's just really confronting and, um, yeah. So we're going to talk about you, but it's just nice to know that the other person's maybe not in their hundred percent where they'd like to be, but that's life and motherhood as you know. (laughs) Well, try and make your job as easy as possible. (laughs) Yeah, you will. Well, you've got the experience and the expertise. Yes, well, you'll make it really easy for me with all your experience in media. Um, <laughs> so you live on a farm in rural Tasmania. Yep. But you didn't grow up as a farmer's <laughs> no. daughter or a farmer. 
total opposite. No, I'm a, I'm a born and bred city girl. So I grew up in Sydney and I used to be a TV reporter. So I traveled around the country working for Channel 7, Channel 9 um, and some other shows. And then I was up in Rockhampton in Queensland and it was a slow news day. I was in charge of not only being a reporter, but managing the Central Queensland Bureau. And I couldn't find, you know, many stories for the news that night. There were no <laughs> car accidents, no crimes committed. It was pretty sleepy. And I was like, oh, God. And so I went along to this little agriculture event because Rocky, you know, arguably the beef capital, you always find a yarn about agriculture. And so mm -hmm. I went along and my now husband, Sam, was a guest speaker who'd been flown up from Victoria, actually. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. So I, I got a story and got a boyfriend. <laughs> That's so funny. And obviously should add he's he's a third generation Tassie farmer. So yeah. I didn't know then what I know now that what falling in love with a farmer actually means for your yeah. future. And yeah. we will definitely go into that. Isn't life crazy? Like sliding doors moment? Yeah. It's it's so like I've thought about it so many times over the last well, we've been together nine years and just anything could have happened, the tiniest thing, and we never would have met. So yeah, yeah I guess that's the beautiful part about life and yeah. It is, yeah. And so tell me more about your life before you met your husband. Yeah, so my life was very career-focused, young woman in my 20s, didn't really have much responsibility apart yeah. from selfishly doing what I wanted and following my career goals, which saw me, you know, work my way up the TV commercial world, up to shows like A Current Affair, um, where I was a reporter, Sunday night, you know, Today Show producing. So you know, that was my life. And when I fell in love with Sam, I didn't really think about what that would mean for our future. But I suppose, you know, I didn't give up TV for him. I actually transitioned. I was working for about 18 months as head of communications for a big corporate company in Melbourne um, because I kind of had enough of, of the rat race of TV. It sounds far more glamorous than it is. And it was mm -hmm. really high pressure, high stress. I mean, I couldn't go to a social event without having to check my phone all the time because you couldn't even enjoy a drink or two because like, I'm, I'm on standby. If something happens, you've mm. got to go. And it, it had an impact on Sam and I's relationship early on. And I think I was just done, you know, like I just, I did it for seven years. It was awesome, but I never thought I'd be a grey woman on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, how many of those do you see, which is a whole nother conversation. Yes, that um, is a massive one. Why we don't. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I did corporate for 18 months and Sam and I fell pregnant um, while we were both working in Melbourne um, in the corporate world. Sam was in agribusiness, agri-politics over the years um, in our city life together. Oh, cool. So and you have got like a bit of a connection and commonality there. So he wasn't um, on the farm yeah. the whole time. No, so he's um he's funny, you know, he can suit up and look like a city slicker and yeah. then he, you know, chucks on his boots and his and his RMs and you know, he's just farmer. But um yeah, no, he he loved the city, but he always craved to go back not not just home, because we did we've bought our own farm here, so it's not like we're on a family farm, but he always just wanted to run his own farming business. And I think he did his MBA and he took all his oh, learnings wow. from cor yeah, corporate life and he wanted us to start our adventure and he wanted to do it together and because we are a team. And so I, he kind of floated. It was actually on our honeymoon where we started talking about this idea of of running some sort of farming business, leaving the city and starting a new life. And I'd watch Farmer Wants a Wife. You know, I've said this before. There is such a romanticised depiction of rural life for women and it's always the the woman following the man to the land and look that does happen a lot and that's what happened with me but I mm, went in same with here rose, yep went in with rose tinted glasses and 
it was a complete slap in the face. It was just mm. a massive wake up call. You know, we we decided to start a beef business in Tassie, um, where Sam's from, his home state. And you know, we moved here when Elliot, my son, my young, my oldest, was six months old. So, what do you mean by beef business? So we founded the Tasmanian Agricultural Company, also known as Tazagco, which is um, a regenerative beef operation that we run. So we're a vertically integrated brand. We also acquired an abattoir recently. So we've kind of got control of the supply chain. Yeah, and doing some really cool stuff. And I've I've learned a lot, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, um, but, yeah, so, we, you know, we, we made the move here and it was a, a big shock and I was already transitioning to motherhood mm. and then I was having to transition to a whole new life the on the land. So well, yeah. it was just a lot happening. <laughs> and um, I love your story so much because it's so similar to mine. Um, I grew up on a farm, so I did know a bit of what I was in for. Um, but you're still in your 20s and you still romanticise marriage as well. You still think marriage is going to be amazing you know it's not that it's that bad but you know you're you're so naive in your 20s aren't you yeah and I think like rural life when you work where you live and you live where you work can can be hard for couples you know I talk to a lot of rural women who you know they struggle with the fact that a lot of our partners are working seven days a week and long days and different seasons whether it's sowing or harvest or carving like there are long days but you know I think we also are too quick to accept those challenges. You know, like Sam and I have done a lot of work on our relationship to set some boundaries because I was struggling. I was like, you know what? I'm the primary caregiver. I'm alone with a baby. I don't have access to a mother's group. I don't have family nearby. I feel so alone. And my partner, the other parent, is not around enough, not just to help with the kids, but just for me. Like, you know, before Mm -hmm. kids, there was just you as a team. There was the love story. And so you know, we've done a lot of work on setting those boundaries and and trying to put us first because too often the farm comes first. Mm. And I personally have gotten really fed up of that, as yeah. Sam knows. So we're working hard on that. Oh, good on you. How do we how do we do that? How do we get across to the other half that yeah. you know, the farm seems to be way more important than anything else? The the million dollar question. You know, to be completely upfront, I think for us it has taken rock bottom particularly the last few months, you know, off the back of my trip to Canberra for for the award, I was really upfront um, to everyone, including in my acceptance speech, that I found it really difficult the last few months. The farm has completely consumed us. We had a horrific winter. We've had, you know, our worker had a stroke and he's out of action. We've had so much pressure, family, seasonally, and it, it really has been rock bottom for us. And so we've kind of drawn a line in the sand well we're not doing that again we're not doing things that way because at the end of the day it's just farming and I I mean that respectfully Mm -hmm. like in the in the context of your health um and your emotional well-being and putting you know putting a stake on someone's plate in our instance it's amazing but the family has to come first at some point Mm -hmm. otherwise something will break down whether it's you or your partner or your marriage or something and so yeah, like it's, we're still battling, but we've really just tried to come back to each other and, you know, priorities and just to really see, well, what, what's worth compromising and what's not. Mm. So, yeah. And that's so valuable in that there is a certain amount of work that has to be done on a farm. So even if you don't necessarily make the changes, you've had the conversation. So you're more of a close knit team and you can understand each other's perspectives. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about this in Motherland Village, like rural relationships, but something actually Sam and I did this last night, not even joking. We did the love language test. Oh, yeah. Um, which I, is my little, husband did yeah. that with me. Yeah. I was so stoked because 10 years ago we would have shoved it in my face and said, I'm not doing any stupid thing. Yeah. And Sam was really open to it because, yeah. as I said, you know, we've been working on us and and he did it and I did it. And, you know, our love language is slightly different, but it was actually a really great conversation. Um, And I think it's like life gets so busy and then throw kids into the mix mm-hmm. and you're just running around. Well, this is what I do, run around like a headless chook and you just mm-hmm. don't get time to just stop and breathe and strategize and come together and communicate about the stuff that matters, not just what are you doing tomorrow? Can you pick up the kids? You know, can you take Elliot in the tractor? Like, mm. well, that's all just the day-to-day rush, but actual like stuff that matters to you as a team and mm. ensuring your longevity as a couple and, and whether it's all business, like making sure you're working on the business, not just in the business. And yeah, yeah so anyway, did the love language test last night. Highly recommend. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I think I might get hubby and I to do it again. And just, yeah, this is a really good reminder that I do need to check in with my mm. husband and I'm sure um, many of you out there are the same. Um, so talk me through the move to the farm and yeah, having your first child in the transition, you know, how did it feel? What was it like? Yeah. So, you know, Elliot, we had in Melbourne mm-hmm. and he was six months old when we moved here and, and I had access to a mother's group in Melbourne, which meant I had that social connection with other mothers. And here I, I lost all that, as I said. And, and so I felt quite resentful of the farm and I felt really alone and I just didn't have anyone to talk to. And my, my city friends, they're beautiful, but they just don't get it. And they mm. shouldn't get it. It's a totally different world. Um, rural yeah. motherhood is very different to city motherhood. And so I craved connection with other rural women, which I now have through creating Motherland. And But then I had two under two. So I had Evie, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, no family. I mean, mum and dad, thankfully, the borders opened just after she was born. So they literally came the day after she was born. But, you know, throughout the pregnancy and then borders shut again, it was just a really difficult time and and I realized and I did a survey of over 200 rural mums and over 50 percent said that they didn't have access to a mother's group Mm -hmm. and it was this light bulb moment when I was like it's such a simple resource and a luxury that women in the city get really it's a luxury Mm. it shouldn't be um so you know I've really struggled with the two kids but through motherland like I've kind of created a business and I'm my customer (laughs) which is quite interesting well, so, ex- exactly what I did with my business yeah. I was living half an hour from the nearest town um craved a you know craved my self-identity through fitness craved a community craved connection so set up a business for myself and it's still I design everything based around what I would want and I think that's really important no matter what it is you do because you care like you will care more than anyone else more than any other founder so you know, I get asked this question a lot, you know, like what keeps you going with motherland and what inspires you? I'm like, I don't, I don't need inspiration. It's all mm. come from within because it's all through my battles. And so when I'm creating a program or the podcast or talking to you, it's just as wanky as it sounds, it's just talking from the heart. It's being mm. authentic because I'm living it. Yeah. Um, so, and maybe in a couple of years time, I'll have my life together a bit more and work. You won't, balance you won't, and... you won't. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> if you, I just more mean, because I'm a few years ahead of you. yeah there's no way yeah so it'll always be this beautiful chaos but yeah yeah, I think it's really important to to do something that means something to you not just because there's an opportunity to create something but because you get it and you understand your customer well I think that's how most things come about don't they yeah absolutely like identifying a problem and, and finding a solution but you know lots of entrepreneurs 
you know, I shouldn't say that. There's heaps of startups out there that just see an opportunity. Mm. They're not particularly emotionally invested in it, but like lots of mm. tech startups, there's a problem, there's a solution, you and know, it goes gang, right. gang, gangbusters. But, you know, I think particularly with rural women, you know, there's there's a lot of heart there. Mm. Um, not that, you know, there's just a lot of heart in, in this life and there's a lot of opportunities. Look at all the amazing bush businesses that are run mm-hmm. by by rural women. So, yeah. The flip side to that is, so my business manager has told me I need to um, stop running my business on emotions. Um, and it's true because um, my day will be good or bad depending on how signups are going or how workouts are going on the on our platform. Um, so he's definitely right in that, you know, I need to just step back a bit so that, mm. you know, I can sleep at night so it's not all so consuming. But then again, there's that side to it that there's no way it would be. And it's the same mm. with, with Motherland. There's no way it would be where it is today without that emotion and passion. Totally. And it's finding support from people that are good at the stuff that you're not good at and you don't like doing. So for me, for almost three years, it's been just me, a one woman show. And it's been a lonely business journey. Like I don't pay myself a wage. Hopefully that will change in the near future. So it's been a real labor of love, but, you know, bringing on, you know, I brought on a rural mum a few hours a week who's helping and she's helping with stuff that I need help with that I'm not necessarily good at or the stuff I just don't want to do or don't have time for. And I think it's just like with anything in life, you've got to stick to, you do have to stick to what feels right. And I always see myself being that, you know, brand ambassador for Motherland and sharing my story and and being emotional because that's what this business has been grown on Mm. Um, and outsourcing the other stuff to other people that can help and be good at that. So I I just don't want to lose me in it because I think that's also dangerous as founders as they scale, they lose that authenticity. Mm. Yeah, you're right. For anyone that doesn't know, the whole concept of Motherland and then what you've done in making it a non-for-profit. Yeah. So, you know, Motherland started as a podcast telling, you know, real and raw stories of rural motherhood every week um, around Australia. And, you know, we've had over 400,000 downloads and it's, you know, been going amazingly well. Um, And then off the back of that, I started Motherland Village, which is Australia's first online rural mothers group program. And we've had almost 100 rural mums in less than 12 months come through that program. And, you know, we support women with not just babies, because I think there's a misconception with motherhood, as you would know, Mm. that the challenges get easier just when they're out of nappies and so I didn't want to focus just on baby on the baby years so we offer groups for zero to three four to ten and eleven to eighteen which is the first of its kind regardless of a rural mother's group like have you ever heard of a mother's group running groups for teenage women with teenagers so that's really important to me and um yeah that's been a real game changer and then off the back of that you know as I said it's been a lonely journey and looking at my growth personally and motherland's growth is I can't keep doing it alone forever that's it it's kind of I've taken it as far as I can on my own on that capacity and and so I thought well it feels good to convert the business to a not-for-profit and a registered charity because it is very purpose and means driven it also opens opportunities to you know collaborations with government and hospitals and some of the things we're already starting to do Mm -hmm. Um, and also you know I've been able to bring on an incredible board of directors and they are like a strategic board um, there's seven of us and they've amazing leaders in various parts um, of the business world who can offer some strategic guidance, guidance and support. I've never had anyone to brainstorm with or talk to about yeah. the business. And these are really smart people who are great at the stuff that I'm not good at. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been really exciting just to make that transition just the last, I don't know, six, six eight weeks. And so how does that work being a non-for-profit? Do those people that are on the board, is it something that they do for free? 
Is it yep. like because it's a non-for-profit, they're giving back? Yep, they're they're all volunteer um, directors. But, you know, I think there's also a misconception about not-for-profits. Like just because you're a not-for-profit doesn't mean you can't be profitable. Um, and, yeah, you know, and you have plenty, to plenty. pay your... Like, one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one day everyone's pretty much volunteer at the moment. But, you know, I think it's just about we're trying to boost Motherland's revenue because we want, you know, as a not-for-profit, you reinvest all the profits back into your, your purpose. Um mm-hmm they're not distributed to people in the company. So I think that's been really fantastic. I think also ethically it feels good. You know, I just, I just, it just feels right given what we're doing for rural mums, for, mm. for not just the rural mums who are paying for the program or not paying for the program or people who are advertising with the podcast, for them to know that we are a charity and where this is going based on what we're doing, which is really in that emotional well-being, kind of mental health, social connection. So it ticks a lot of boxes there. And like you say, that access. So if you can be working with, um, you know, your whole point is for women to be able to access a mother's group. So to be able to do that, you need to be a non-for-profit to get everyone in Australia and maybe New Zealand in the future. Um, but being able to access that, that is the best model, isn't it? Absolutely. And so at what point do you start taking a salary from it? Oh, I... I don't know. I'm yeah. not really thinking about that right now. That's probably more of an internal strategic conversation with the board at some point. Um, yeah. But right now it's just setting the business up. You know, we're looking for sponsors for the podcast for next year. Um, oh, yes, I wanted to say, yes, I'm keen. So I oh, good. <laughs> good. I'll send you through a pack. Um, and, and just kind of getting the brand awareness out there. You know, like you mentioned New Zealand. I'd love, like I genuinely would love to do New Zealand and, and you know, transition motherland over there as well. But I think it's just about getting the basic model in Australia right and mm. getting it tickety-boo and getting it up and running and sustainable. And um, so I'm really excited for, for what's to come. Yeah, it's just the beginning. Okay, so back to more about your journey. I really like to get into the nitty-gritty stuff. Do you remember when it got really tough like was there when you first moved there's that newness to it all and then when did you go hey hold on a minute I'm actually not coping yeah I remember the exact moment which is actually the exact moment that I was inspired to create motherland I didn't know what it would end up being but you know Elliot he was six months old when we moved here and he was about eight or nine months old and it was just another day solo parenting where Sam would leave for work in the morning on the farm and I just was getting really emotional. Like he'd leave and I just burst into tears because I just felt so alone and I and I wanted him around because I just wanted someone and I wanted him, but he couldn't be here because of the farm. And I had this moment, I got really angry and Elliot was crawling around on the floor and I'm like, you know, that old saying, everyone says, oh, they, if they say it takes a village to raise a child, well, where the hell is mine? Mm-hmm. And that was the moment that I realised that, I wasn't failing, that my environment was failing me. Mm-hmm. And that's where the idea for Motherland was born. Um, so, yeah. That's so cool. And so the, where you live, so how far is it to the nearest township or your neighbours? or mm. This is a really interesting point. Yeah, it's a really interesting point when it comes to isolation. So Tassie is like by no means remote. You know, when you look at the Northern Territory and women that are on stations hours mm. away. So, you know, we're 45 minutes from Launceston, um, 20 minutes from like a small local town. So by no stretch do I have no access to resources or shops. But I think what we need to remember and particularly what rural mums are telling telling me and the ones coming through the program is social isolation is not just geographical isolation. Mm. A lot of people in the cities feel it too. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think, you know, rural communities, as beautiful as they can be, and Tassie, I can relate here, is it, it can be really hard to make friends as an mm. adult from stop. It can be exceptionally hard when you're moving to a new rural area. Yeah. But also a lot of rural communities, everyone knows everyone's business. Mm-hmm. It's like the little town gossip. And a lot of the mums that come through Motherland Village is they might have access to not necessarily mother's group, but play groups or just, mm. you know, they're not so isolated geographically, but they're just craving the anonymity that comes with a fresh slate with a new group of rural mums who are mm-hmm. like-minded, who understand their life, but they can talk to about stuff. You know, like locally, if I was to head down, I mean, we don't even have a psychologist in town here, but, you know, if we did, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I personally, I would be a bit uptight who's seeing me walk in. Yeah, completely. Because it's like, oh, Steph Prithu is seeing, you know, seeing a shrink. Not that there's any shame in it, but there's still a lot of taboo, you know, why? Mm-hmm. Like, what's wrong with Steph? And and so we've had women who have said they just find it really hard that everyone always knows what you're up to. Whereas, yeah, and if you're yeah. sharing something, you don't get that feeling that, um you know, people are going to tell everyone and know know your business. Yeah. So it's not like this. It's hard to know how genuine your friends are sometimes in small rural areas. Like totally. they'll have your back when you need them. Like if something goes wrong, you know, there's people to call on. But when it comes to, I'm going to say trivial, but it's not trivial, you know, just those nitty gritty things that sometimes you want to share, but you don't want them to be made into a big deal. They're just emotions and normal things that you're experiencing that you want to share yeah and you know there have been some extraordinary moments throughout the program and in my personal group because I should add that I joined the pilot program when it ended because I was like oh my god I've created a a service that I need and so I asked the girls if I could join their group and they said yes after the six-week trial and so there's nine of us in our village and you know one of our mums went through something which I'm I'm not going to talk about in detail but she went through something incredibly traumatic and we were the first people she told because wow. she just wanted to tell and vent and and feel supported, but she wasn't ready for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that actually brought our group really close together. We've actually just booked in a girls weekend um, for March. And so we're about to meet each other for the first time as a group face to face. Oh, that's which is so really, cool. Really Such special. a cool concept. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. So look, there's geographical isolation and then there's social isolation. They don't have to be related. Um, so look, I personally don't feel geographically isolated, but mm-hmm. I have certainly felt incredibly socially isolated. Mm-hmm. But also coming from a city, you may as well have dropped me in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Yeah. Like now I laugh thinking, oh my God, 45 minutes from like a decent, you know, regional town. Whereas back then it was so remote to me because I'd grown up in the heart of, you know, Sydney and then Melbourne. So yeah, anyway, that's just me. (laughs) No, it's such a change. I um, grew up on a farm, but I went to boarding school in a city and then I went to university in a city and then I went, did a bit of work and then I went traveling. So I basically moved from London to 30 minutes from the nearest small town and, um, I thought I was fine at the time, but looking back, it was a massive, massive change. And again, it's that social connection, longing for um, people just to be there. Mm, Um, It's like, I want to say I longed for people just to pop in, but then sometimes when people just pop in, oh shit, I've got stuff to do. But it's, it's people being around without them, I don't know, just integrated into your life seamlessly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think, you know, adding motherhood to the mix, you know, you can't underestimate that because, you know, being a 
um, a childless woman for me here would make it a lot easier to make friends. Now, a lot of people here do have families, so I'm sure that it would, you know, there's also the flip side is when you don't have kids or you desperately want them and you can't, Mm. that complexity. But my point is, is motherhood isolates you no Mm. matter where you are. Um, For a lot of us, it might only be a short period of time. I was going to say more for a short period because I think as it was for me, as they get older, you become friends with your kids' parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's if you so have access, access, you know, again, there's a lot of rural mums and families who don't have oh, access totally. to like, they, yeah. they do disc school of the air or distance education. But, you know, even for us here, like I'm still socially isolated because my world does revolve around the farm mm. and the kids and motherland. And it can be tricky to find the time to get off the farm and to go anywhere that is meaningful or to see people and have mm. those meaningful connections. Um, it can be really hard as a mother, full stop. Mm, and sometimes as well, I'm just thinking of my experiences, um, you might see a lot of um, mums, so you spend a lot of time with them, it's kids sports and stuff like that, um, and you have great conversations, but then a lot of the time the friendships don't then carry mm. on to outside of that, and that can be because hard as well. what are you talking about in a playground? Like what are you actually talking about that is deep and meaningful to your life and your mm. emotional well-being at the park when your two-year-old's about to catapult off a bloody bit of equipment, mm. your five-year-old's fallen over in mud, people are screaming, kids, like it's, you know, even in Melbourne, you know, my mother's group was great because we it was just a small group and it was strategic. But, you know, going for other play dates or going to the park and meeting other parents, oh, hi, how are you going? It was really hard to form any sort of meaningful connection. And so there are mums again, you know, that I've met through Motherland and Motherland Village that they they have that social connection, but it's not as meaningful as they would like. Mm. And they are craving something just for them that's not about the kids. It's not kids running around. It's This is a private group for them. The, you know, the Zoom calls, the chats, it's about the mother. It's putting the mother at the centre of it. And I think so often we you know, are obsessed with the kids. And I know mm. that, yes, they they do need to come first, but not all the time. I think there's such a misconception that motherhood is all about sacrifice. It's really one of my pet peeves. It's like, how many times have you heard a mum described as, oh, she's so selfless. She'd do anything for her kids. The family always comes first. It's, you know, she's put on this pedestal, which means a lot of us mm. think we're failing if we're not that. Mm. And for me, being selfish and not sacrificing everything for my kids is why I'm actually a better mother mm. because I'm looking after my emotional well-being. I'm looking after my marriage. So my kids are growing up seeing two parents that are in love, that are affectionate, that are a team. Mm. Um, so I think we need to be really careful with when we talk about motherhood and sacrifice in our children because they can't always come first. Mm. It's impossible. You will not have a happy, fulfilled life forever on all counts, across all different categories, if you are constantly putting your children first. It's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. This has come at a really nice time for me because, as I said yesterday, it was really tough. And what's really hard is there's some areas that she's really struggling in. And I blame myself in setting up my business and not having enough time to put into her. I know that we wouldn't be able to pay for this therapy if I didn't work. My kids wouldn't have the same opportunities if I didn't have my business. But still, being a mother, there's this massive guilt for, yeah, basically for not being able to achieve the impossible. Yeah, but we can never win. We're always guilty guilty about something. And, Mm. you know, one of my favorite episodes was actually Katrina Roundtree, who um, she literally said in the episode, she's like, 
I just don't buy into mum guilt. Like mm. I just refuse. Because, you know, I asked her the question and I was like, oh, you know, you're traveling all around the world for the last 25 years for getaway. Mm. And she's got two sons, you know, and she was away a lot. And I kind of asked, oh, you know, how did you, did you struggle being away from them? Did you feel guilty? And 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 she put it back on me. She's like, well, well no, because, you know, I just don't buy into that. Mm. And I just, that was a bit of a like, oh, shit, yeah. And, and it's made me think and lots of things have made me think about this, but I, I don't think we're ever going to not feel guilty for something. Like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I think at the end of the day, I always think about what is the type of mother I want to be mm-hmm. and what's going to help me be that mother. So for me, if working within, you know, there's got to be a limit to have that balance, but if working makes me more patient with my kids because I've actually done something for me and my job is fulfilling me, therefore I'm not just, you know, relying just on them for my happiness. This is me personally. I'm a better mum. Mm. Um, some mums, they don't want to work and they, you know, they don't need to, and they don't want to, they just want to so- solely focus on their kids five days a week, seven days a week, which it is anyway, but you know, everyone's different. And so for me, it's like, well, what kind of mum do you want to be and what's mm. going to help you get there? And that's blocking out a lot of outside noise because, you know, if you're a working mum, you feel guilty or people might judge you if you don't work. I mean, that's the flip side is motherhood full stop is not valued enough in society. There's this rush to get mums back to work there's a rush to kind of build your career back up don't have too much of a break because you know you might lose momentum and like but then I feel like it's kind of the opposite in rural areas I think in rural areas or here anyway it's still more that it is it is changing but that the mum should be very present and at all the kids sports things and um, yeah there's playing the secondary role yeah there is um, that stereotype too, and and um and that's something I struggled with too because I kind of thought I had to fit the stereotypical stay-at-home farmer's wife, which mm-hmm. I don't like. I hate that term for me personally, but you know that I had to kind of find me because mm-hmm. motherland was perfect fit where I could still be home, still be present, but still do my own thing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like there's rural Australia, I think is a bit more family friendly in some ways, but I think it's also because we have the flexibility of working where we live, living where we work. But I think also, you know, a lot of mums want to work, but they can't because of where they live. I think that's also important too. Um, But there's also an enormous amount of bush businesses run by mums who are full-time mums, but they're also staying up late at night and doing their little hustle and doing their business. That's how I started. So yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Back to the guilt thing. Sorry, I've just loved that. Love that topic. What I've always done with that is gone. Okay, it's an it's an emotion that we have so that we keep our children safe. So it's like a chicken. Are our children safe and happy? Yes, they are. Okay, that's an irrational feeling. Now I can move on from it. And I think in my case, how I'm feeling that yesterday, it's was just a bit of a. It was more of a reality check, and it is. A reminder for me too that there are maybe there are some more things I can be doing then I do need to have a, a sort of rethink at my structure for my day and how much energy I've got left at the end of the day for my kids so it's mm. kind of like instead of thinking of guilt as something we just push aside it's like feeling that emotion letting it sit for a minute working out why it's there and then moving on from it instead of carrying it around Absolutely. Like it's so important not to just push it away, you know, too much. But I think it's also once you understand where that guilt's coming from and if a kid's happy and safe and if all those boxes being ticked, then you can say, well, 
that's just me being a little bit hard on myself, which yeah. is where I come in. I mean, I still feel incredibly guilty. You know, when Evie was born, you know, she was obviously home with me all the time and um, I was building Motherland, but Motherland Village didn't exist. So from an hour's point of view, I wasn't working anywhere near as much as I'm working now. Like now I'm like up late at night most nights and, you know, I try and be the best mum I can be, but they go to daycare a couple of days in the local town and I still feel incredibly guilty about that and there's something incredibly uh, don't take this the wrong way anyone listening but there's something incredibly unnatural about dropping your kids off mm. somewhere else that's not you mm -hmm. um I still struggle with that but then I also like to your point okay feel the guilt why am I feeling it but what's the, what's this what's the solution so am I going to pull my kids out of daycare and that means motherland would have to pretty much my role would have to wind right back. I would. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably or you'd exist. try and do both and you'd be yelling and screaming at the kids because exactly. you'd be super stressed. And Exactly. So it's just trying to make the right decision. So for me personally, like setting yourself goals is really important. So I know that, you know, my kids, I'd love to spend more time with them than I do. And I think next year will be a big part of that. Like for me, the next six months is really that strategic growth phase of motherland where, you know, I've got everyone's attention now. What am I going to do with it? And it's mm -hmm. like putting in systems that are going to grow it, scale it, bringing in other team members who can do all the things that I can't do, won't do, don't want to do. Um, so then I can sort of, my dream is to move back into that, you know, as a CEO, move back into that brand ambassador role, the storyteller, the st strategy stuff, but not Which all is what the, you're so passionate about and so good at, exactly. isn't it? That's what you're, not that's your career. The, yeah. Not all the day-to-day -day stuff, mm -hmm. like designing social media posts in Canva. I mean, far out, I'm design <laughs> challenged, yet I have to do it. It's you amazing know, how many things you do as a um, founder of a company. I know. Um, and it's great. All the you little skills learn. that you learn, yeah. You got to learn how to do it. I, I want to know how to do all those things, but I just long term, it's not sustainable. I don't want to do mm -hmm. the bookkeeping. I don't want to do the designing. I don't want to do all the email chasing up, like because that takes me away from the stuff that matters, not just for mm -hmm. motherland, but it takes me away from my kids and it takes me away from my husband. And, yeah. you know, so yeah, mum guilt is, I don't have a solution for it. I think it's important to talk about it and also to call bullshit on a bit of it as well. Mm, I totally agree. And it's really cool to hear other people's perspectives too, and really helps you rationalize it in your own mind. Do you think you had postnatal depression? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely had postnatal depression um, in the months after Elliot was born. He was an extremely colicky baby. Like he just screamed for hours at a time, mm -hmm. like four hour blocks. He would wake up for about three months straight. He would wake up every 45 minutes at night, like literally every 45 minute sleep cycle. And I think not only was I struggling with the transition to motherhood because, you know, I was a career-driven woman. Um, I'm not, I am now still, but I think back then, you know, late 20s, former TV journo. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't know what motherhood was going to be totally. like. It's and you think to yourself, I don't know if you like this, you're like, oh, it's, it's different for me. I'll show them how yeah. it's done kind of that I can. Totally. Go. And yeah, so there was a bit of that going on, like a bit of a down-to-earth kind of reality check on on how that transition would go for me and how I'd cope. And obviously, you know, every baby's different. My baby decided to not sleep and scream for hours on end. So environmentally, all these, it was just a perfect storm. And well, yeah, so sleep I- Sleep deprivation, like- Yeah. No, oh, it's a form of torture, you know? Absolutely. No matter where you are at, even if you are in your dream location, surrounded by everything you've ever wanted in life, totally. take away sleep and it's yep. not fun. Last, a few years ago, I went to Fiji for a holiday. We're drinking the whole time, staying up late. By the end of it, you just want to leave because you're so tired. 
Yeah, but it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And I remember like one day, you know, Elliot was, we'd been out with Sam somewhere with him and it was a really hot Melbourne day. This is before we moved to Tassie. And, you know, he, he was screaming in the bedroom and Sam was trying to settle him. And I just remember I just needed to tap out. Like I was like, I just can't do this. And I just went to the bathroom, sat on the floor and shut the door. And I think I was in there for like an hour and a half. Like mm. I just was like, I can't do it. Can someone take the baby? And obviously luckily Sam was home anyway. And I just cried and I just, you know, like there have been times back then that I thought I had ruined my life by having kids. And I mm. say that because I think it's important to hear that. I think it's mm-hmm. important to understand that that's not a horrific thing to think that yeah. it's, you know, obviously from a mental health point of view, it's the mental health aspect talking and it was a really difficult time and you know coming through it now the, at the other end I feel really sorry and I feel really sad for what Steph went through and then you know I started to feel better and I had my mother's group Elliot just started to sleep a bit we ended up going to sleep school in Melbourne luxuries of being in a city with resources and so by the time we moved here I was actually starting to feel better and then that hit me like a ton of bricks and so I kind of went back into this dark place and then I really that motherland is when things started to pick up but you know even after Evie there were challenges like I still struggle you know I think it's important it's not like you know postnatal depression you just have it and then you're through it and then you're happy for the rest of your life like it, you know depression comes in waves and and motherhood comes in waves you know mm-hmm. the challenging times come in waves and and so you know for me it's it's been a really important journey to to really listen to myself and listen to my body and my mind and and to know that it's you know okay not to be okay all the time and to mm-hmm. talk about it. Do you think there's a lot of um, mums out there who potentially have postnatal depression but don't know that they do? Like they're in a rut but they're not. Absolutely. Yeah. God, yeah. The, you know, absolutely. And there's so many women that wouldn't seek the help because, you know, they just think it's not bad enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also this stereotype of, you know, will depression someone who can't get up in the morning or mm-hmm. they can't um, or they cry all the time. You know, for me, like, uh, you know, at my worst, I was still very high-functioning, mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't know it. And I had yeah. people, you know, I've talked about this with Motherland a little bit and I've had, you know, the odd city friend message me like, oh, I just saw you post about that or I didn't know, I had no idea. And, you know, Sam didn't even know. And I still think he doesn't know how much I struggled when we moved here because, mm-hmm. again, putting everyone else first, as mums do way too often, mm-hmm. is I just didn't want to burden him. Like I just, mm-hmm. he was, we we're in the middle of winter when we moved here, the toughest, you know, part of the year. He was just setting up the beef business on his own. He was working mm-hmm. seven days a week, flogging himself 12-hour days. And I'm like, well, here I am at home with a healthy baby, with mm-hmm. a beautiful husband, in a beautiful house, on a beautiful farm. Yeah. What have I got to complain about? Like I felt so guilty, but yet I felt so bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look back and I just think that's not okay. So, you know, I think I'm better at communicating with, you know, Sam in particular is you know, if I'm not coping, like we've just come through a horrific couple of months. And I said to him, I said, I feel like you cope a little bit better with, you know, the pressures of farming. Naturally, you are from a farming background. This is my first shit season. Like this is the first season where we have just had blow after blow. And I thought, oh my God, like, what are we doing here? For him, that sounds a bit dramatic because he's like, mm-hmm. it's all good. Like it's just a bad season. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, great. Welcome to my new life where I'm sure it'll be up and down. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I just, he needed to know that I do struggle with that and what my triggers are. And and so it comes down to communication. So absolutely, absolutely to your original question, there'd be so many mums listening that would have postnatal depression or just depression. I think, you know, again, it's not mm. postnatal is not just after the baby is, it's just depression. Mm. Um, and that makes me sad, you know, for the ones that are suffering in silence. And you're like, we're saying the ones that are suffering, but do you know what I mean by they don't know that they're suffering? 
they just like the, mm. they know they're suffering but they don't know that actually they could go and do something about it yeah and I think you know you got to work you do you've got to do the work on yourself like mm. there have been times when I've just not done the work on myself and 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 just it's festered and I just think it's not just about going to see prof- seek professional support from a psychologist that's important too but it's it's everything it's you know it's reevaluating your life like it might be fitness it might be like well you know what it takes what 30 days to create a habit so I know that I don't really want to go for I don't run so in a bad example but I don't really want to exercise right now but I'm never going to want to do it it's like at mm-hmm. some point you just have to do it and then the next 100%. day do it and then the next day do it and then one day in 30 days or whatever whatever the magic number is for you it'll be like you can't imagine not doing it and you'll realize the impact it's had on your health. And so I think that's the same for mental health. Like for me, I've seen psychologists before and it's kind of like, oh, like, do I need to? Like, it's not that bad. I'm not, you know, trigger warning. I'm not suicidal. So it's Mm -hmm. like I'm not, you know, harming myself. I'm not thinking about that, but I'm struggling. So maybe I should keep this appointment for someone else who's worse off than me. And you kind of just think you're not deserving of the help. But then every time I've spoken to someone, I leave that conversation. I'm like, wow, like, I needed that. I'm much mm-hmm. clearer on why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And now I actually have some practical tools to go and work on myself. And, you know, I, one mum in particular comes in, comes to mind. She reached out to me. She was diagnosed with um, postpartum rage, which is one of the most under talked about mental health a- aspects of motherhood. And for her, the symptoms weren't like, she wasn't depressed. She didn't think she was, but it was like, she was really snappy, yelling a lot easily triggered like just like getting angry and yelling oh, and I just, can relate to this and look we've all gone through being yelly mummy well some mm-hmm. of us have I certainly have but for her it was like persistent and and she got the help and yeah she was diagnosed with postpartum rage which you know I googled it because I'd never really heard of it and I actually listened to a podcast or two about it because it fascinates me mm-hmm. and that's that's a whole nother side of, of mm-hmm. mental health that you don't hear about it's not just about being anxious or depressed there's actually you being uptight and angry and easily yelling like that can be a sign of stuff so just talk to someone like even if it's small like what's what's the harm like I just don't I don't see why going to seek help is such a big Mm. deal and I know things are getting better because we're talking about it more um but you know what it's also preventative like I just think for me in future I don't don't want to wait until I am struggling a lot I would rather go and talk to someone at the start of it because it's also preventing you spiraling so I think a lot of people wait until it's so the pain is so bad mm-hmm. and you've suffered your partner suffered the family suffered the kids have suffered like why are we waiting till your mental health is so bad why are we waiting until you're diagnosed like mm-hmm. really there should be other ways we can seek support before things get so bad yeah it's so true and um, what we talk about a lot on dedicate is um, encouraging people to try and be at their best so it's about that isn't it it's like if you're not feeling like you are, I mean, we can't be our best selves all the time, but that you're functioning as your best self most of the time, then there must be some things you can do, whether it's like you say, whether it's fitness or talking to someone or whatever it is, instead of, yeah, waiting till rock bottom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to have all the balls in the air perfectly at the same time, but yeah, it's just being self-aware. I think Mm. that's that's I think a lot of people aren't self-aware and I think women in particular are so busy worrying about everyone else that they forget to check in with themselves mm. um I think if you start asking yourself some questions around your happiness and fulfillment in all areas of your life I think you'll you know a lot of us the answers can be confronting but mm-hmm. if you don't like if you don't do the work you're not you know no one's going to come save you so no, I think exactly. that's really important 
And that's a big thing about becoming a mother that I found hard for like for a while there, I couldn't handle my birthdays was stupid. I couldn't handle it. Like I would cry on my birthday all the time. And it was this feeling like I was, um, I was still processing a lot of, um, have of, um, Olivia's diagnosis, but, um, it was this, yeah, no one's coming to save me as, but, that I had accepted, but on this one particular day, that was my birthday. It was a reminder that no one is, you know, because that's the day when you were young that everyone made a fuss of you and you felt really protected by your family and really safe and secure and loved. Um, and I still feel that from my family, of course, but yeah, birthdays, I don't know if anyone else has experienced that out there that, that's listening, where it just all yeah came to roost on that particular day. And I still don't love them. I did a lot of work so that now I'm okay. I'm fine on my birthday. So I think the last two or three birthdays, I haven't cried and it's fine to cry, but I haven't been in the emotional state where I've, you know, broken down. Um, and mm. again, that's working on, working on myself, those other 364 days of the year. So that when that birthday came around, I was, yeah, secure and had my sort of mind sorted. Yeah, I think, you know, as mums, we crave to be mothered too sometimes. Like mm. sometimes I get sick of looking after everyone. When I say everyone, the kids, I don't look after my husband. <laughs> it feels like a, it's about 500 people boy. sometimes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's two people and my husband's a big boy um, and I don't, don't mother him, which is a whole other conversation if we need <laughs> to stop, stop mothering um, the men. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes I crave for someone to look after me and, you know, I remember being sick. There's nothing worse than being sick when your kids are sick. When your mm. kids are sick and you can look after them and you're healthy. But, you know, a few months ago, you know, I had COVID, the kids had COVID, Sam was away in interstate. And I was just like, this is the shittest thing I have ever done in my life. Luckily, it actually, like, I was only sick for a day and then threw it, thank God, because he was mm. away in the Northern Territory for a week. But I just remember thinking, can someone come and look after me? Yeah. And that's another thing. I don't have family around. I can't call my mum or, or Sam's mum and say, hey, the kids are sick or I'm sick, can you help? I don't have anyone like that. And that's... That's when I talk about isolation is, you know, being 15, 20 minutes from a town's great, but you I know don't that have village. that yeah. village. You know, I've got them online, mm. but I have no one to call. I mean, so much so when I went into labour with Evie, when my waters broke and at 1am, we called Jenny, beautiful Jenny from the local daycare centre, and she came to look after Elliot and stayed the night awesome. because I didn't have anyone to call. And and so, you know, it's it's it can be hard. But anyway, look, everyone's Again, different. I feel like you will get more of a village where you live when the kids are a bit older so mm. like I was saying you get to know a lot of the other mums in the area through school and yeah. you and the kids can be picked up by their friends parents when you really yeah. need them to and you know it's definitely um for me I know like you said there's people out there who don't who are you know doing everything remotely but for me that's definitely been a real positive of the kids getting a bit bigger yeah yeah all that to come so the challenges <laughs> the challenges don't go away they just change right yeah exactly exactly so you've sort of covered everything that I've written down it's good all right we've got some fun questions now I was going to say you know advice for certain things but I feel like you've given us so much advice you're very well versed on on chatting oh god don't take it as advice either like it's just my personal opinion like full disclaimer my personal opinion and my story like you know there's no right or wrong and I just yeah Oh, it's probably the wrong word there, advice, but yeah. bits of gems that, you know, you listen to a podcast and um, 10 people could listen to it and every single person could take away something different. 
that's what I love okay what's your favorite because we are a fitness podcast so there's some questions in here not too many don't stress what do you prefer hit or strength strength would you rather do a press up or a plank or press up Plank. plank plank yoga or pilates pilates Okay, I can't can... sit still in yoga enough. It's just, I can't sit kumbaya and it's not like that. Oh my gosh, I used to be like that. And <laughs> yeah, you have to sort of train yourself. But it's yeah. um, when you're the most um, coiled up kind of is when yoga is the, and like I'm no yoga e- expert, like I need to do it more, way more. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm trying to sound like I am. Um is when you're really coiled up, it's really hard to do yoga, but that's when you need it the most. And that's mm. one of the hardest things. Um, advice for people out there who, who are the same, stretching can be a good one to do instead. So it feels a lot more focus driven. So we've um, stretching sessions on Dedicate where you sort of feel a bit more, um, yeah, you can, it's sort of a halfway mark. Okay, live, where would you rather live, in the city or the country? Country. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Champagne or cocktail? Cocktail. Sheep or cattle? Cattle. Tasmania or New South Wales? Ah, <laughs> uh, Tasmania. <laughs> the big questions. Um, mountains or beach? Oh, that's tricky. Probably beach. Like if the farm could overlook the beach. In warm weather, that's not Tassie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what is the climate like there? Um, look, <laughs> the winter's long. <laughs> enough said, enough said. Yeah, <laughs> look, it's, look, it's funny because parts of New Zealand, for example, are much colder than here. But, look, it's a cold, cold, long winter. You know, we get And you know, it's quite exposed, of, isn't it? You're yeah, like where island. we are is exposed and, you yeah. know, top of eight, eight or nine degrees on a winter's day. But if it's blue sky and sunny, it's fine. Gets down to minus four or five at night on, on not every night, but mm-hmm. we're just heading into spring. So bring it on. Today's actually a top of 19. So it's going to be a heat wave. So probably at some <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. Hopefully it is good weather for rural women's weekend. Yes. I can't wait. It'll be great okay. to meet you. Yeah, you too. Mm-hmm. Can't wait either. Um, Bali or Fiji? Fiji. Okay, I've got some questions here that I asked our community because I've been getting sick of my questions. So coming up, we have, would you, hold on. Okay, if you, was, if you could be stuck anywhere in the world, where would it be? Anywhere that Sam and the kids are. Oh. I, know it sounds, I know it sounds corny, but like, what am I supposed to say? Like Paris or like, no, yeah, anywhere. The, I yeah. love that here, answer, here but fine. give us a place. Oh God. That's, that's not um, home. That's not home. It's Italy. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Marmite or Vegemite? Vegemite. If you could, oh, this is a big question. If you could go, would you rather go back into your past and change something or see into your future? That's a good question. I my instinct is to say see the future because I'm a control freak. Yeah. But but, but I think. I think I'd like to go back and change a few things. Yeah. I won't ask you what they are. No, that, no. That's for I've another day. I've got time day. for that. <laughs> yeah. That's for a therapy session now. Yeah. You've <laughs> already gone through that. You don't want to yeah. go through it again. <laughs> what would you rather, never have to change a nappy or never have to make a snack? Never have to make a snack. Nice. Would you rather toes for fingers or fingers for toes? 
Fingers for toes. I've got to think about it. I'm picturing who, fingers for who toes. Who are these people in your community? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I like that I can blame them for these crazy questions. Yeah, yeah. It's, let's face it, it was your question. <laughs> yeah. Okay, toilet paper, scrunch or fold? Scrunch. Two more. Do you go sock, sock, shoe, shoe or sock, shoe, sock, shoe? Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. I'm sure everyone's thrilled to know that about me too. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've listened right to the end just to hear that <laughs> okay this is a big one would you rather sticky fingers or wet feet for the rest of your life wow um sticky fingers sticky fingers oh yeah they're both awful aren't they yeah not sure <laughs> what's wrong with the person who asked that question <laughs> and I'd go away one more. Everyone's answered the same, but um, would you rather run out of deodorant or run out of toothpaste? Run out of deodorant. Yeah, that's what everyone says. I think I'd be the be the opposite. Although, ask me after a day when you get that furry feeling in your mouth, wouldn't it be well, you nice? Definitely, you definitely sweat more than I do, whereas I don't really, I don't really exercise much. Although I have just started the Kate Ivy program, I've done one little stretch class. That's it. Good so far. stuff. So you have um, done a stretch one. Good just, girl. That's it. I'm getting there. But that's yeah. how it starts. Small steps. One more yep. than you had done otherwise. Exactly. So, and then yeah. soon it'll be one more. Soon I'll pick deodorant as my must <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that must be why. And I am a sweater too. So yeah. <laughs> Okay, now before we go, is there anything else um, that you've experienced in your life or recently that you want to share before we go? I don't think so. I think I've like ranted enough. Like I think I've covered a lot. I'm just, um, no, I'm really happy to be here. And like I said, just be authentic. Like magic comes from authenticity and that's kind of what I've learned the last couple of years is you just got to do you and be you and and things kind of work out when you're your true self, I suppose. Mm, that's amazing. I love it. And so, okay, I'm like, do, do I get into this? So what about if someone's out there is feeling like, I'm kind of answering my own question. So someone out there could be feeling like they're not being their true self. That's when they need to look at these things like joining a mother's group or a fitness community because probably there's something, you know, that's not quite firing in them that they need to to be their true selves. Yeah, totally. I think you just, it's that self-reflection. I think, you know, everyone knows themselves. Um, you know, if you're not, doing things the way you want to truly be doing you know if you're not living your life that's aligned to your values mm -hmm. um and for me being on the land allows me to live a life that's more aligned to my values values like living a more natural lifestyle um mm -hmm. when it even comes to things like you know chemicals and products at home like we you know we've moved to more natural systems at home and and you know parenting kids allowing them to be wild and free and valuing that childhood there they can do that here they have the luxury of that here and you know it's been and being connected to my food I feel like I was so disconnected in the city um mm -hmm. and I didn't understand where my food comes from I think anyone that hasn't stepped foot on a farm or has been you know across agriculture not their fault but you don't truly understand it until you live it and so I think life here allows me to live more closely aligned to my values yeah that's very cool I love it um and it's another big topic is the whole um city rural disconnect that goes on and a lot of people in the city not understanding farmers way of life and maybe potentially going vegan or vegetarian for potentially the wrong reasons 
Don't get me started on that, Kate. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. As a, as a beef as a beef farmer, don't even get me started. <laughs> yeah, look, it's all about self-reflection and self-education um, and walking a mile in someone else's shoes, I think, goes a long way. Yeah, it really does. Thank you so much for your time, Steph. Super inspiring. And, yeah, when I say super inspiring, it's, one, what you've achieved, but, two, it's also your ability to be honest and real with everyone and not afraid to share your experiences and your feelings, the good and the bad. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. You're welcome. And I'll see you in a few weeks. Yes, I will. Yes, it'll be awesome. Um, I'll pack my my shoes and my leggings. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> And hopefully I don't per- perish mid-workout anyway. You won't. Com- com- and we comedy. have we have a beginner's level for our power sessions. So great. it's designed great. for, you know, like I said, designed to dedicate for me. And yes, I'm fit now, but I didn't used to be fit, you know, straight after having kids yeah. and stuff. So there's something yeah, yeah, for everyone. Course. Don't stress. Yeah. For no, those I'll not be- sure what we're talking about, Anna and I are going to Victoria week of the 10th of October. And is our head trainer, and we are going to Rural Women's Weekend. And Steph is one of the keynote speakers. Yeah, MCing the day. MC, too, MC, mm. awesome. Yeah, so there's about 200 women going, and all rural. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, we'll right. see you there. See you there. Thanks, Steph. Have a good day. Thanks, Thanks. so much for your time. Talk to you soon. Bye. No worries. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to the Dedicate podcast and thanks to Steph for sharing so openly today. A massive shout out to Rabobank for sponsoring season five of the Dedicate podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you check out some more. There are lots of great listens. Our other awesome episodes with Aussie guests are Claire Dunn, starting Grazy Her at 23, moving to New Zealand and becoming a mother, Kendall White, Losing My Brother to Suicide led to creating Blue Tree Project. Amanda Cochran, Finding Peace After Losing a Child and My Business Baby. And Camille McClymont, who is now a Dedicate Trainer. My Life, The Remote Aussie Outback, Anorexia and Anxiety. Dedicate is the online trans-Tasman fitness community for rural and regional women, mums and those that don't have time for the gym. Everyone is welcome. Our trainers are located all over New Zealand and Australia and we stream short and effective workouts from our homes to yours. It's a real and down-to-earth approach to fitness and well-being and we encourage you to do your personal best. Get started with your seven-day free trial at kateivyfitness.com. Thanks again for listening, guys. Catch you all on Dedicate or back here in October.